Josie and Johnny are having a baby. With, with you. you. With you. With you. <laughs> I'm, I'm Josie Lump. I'm Johnny Donahue. We are a couple. Of charming little delights. <laughs> also a couple? Yes. In real life? I thought you said we were a couple of... Oh, we are a couple of comedians. We're a couple of comedians. We're a couple of writers. And we're a couple of... Life partners. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, and we're about to have our first baby together. And we're going to ask some of the massive, profound, difficult questions and hopefully go into having this baby with a slight amount more knowledge. Yes. Josie and Johnny are having a baby. Today we're speaking with a friend of ours, uh, Nikas Shukla. He's an author, he's a journalist, he's the editor and co-creator of The Good Immigrant, which was a global smash best-selling book of essays about the experience of being a person of colour in Britain. And um, as well as that, he's founded The Good Agency, which is a literary agency which is there to help support and promote writers of colour in Britain and help diversify a very um, undiverse publishing industry. Mm. Um, so he's, and he's a, a busy working dad of two. two he's got two kids oh. uh, under five. They are great kids. They are. We had brunch with those kids. They're incredible. Um, yeah, and he's... <laughs> He's just a very hardworking, inspiring human being already, just from those credentials you know. Um, he's also, uh, he, you, I think that sounds very academic. Yeah, he's, he's a also, funny ex-rapper. Yeah, he's delightful and joyful. and He's a really funny guy. He um, His most recent novel, um, The One Who Wrote Destiny, I wholeheartedly recommend. I yep. think it's fantastic. Also, as a stand-up, there's a whole section in it about a stand-up. And actually, usually when people write about stand-ups, I find it very distasteful. But this is like... The it's so good and well written and actually akin to the experience of being a stand-up. Um, so one thing I should say before um, before we dive in is that this uh, was recorded over Skype um, because um, Nikesh is based in Bristol, which is a port town the west coast of England. Americans it- are going to laugh at us because we'd be like, the thing is, if we'd have wanted to speak to him, he'd have had a two-hour drive. Oh, it would have been impossible to do. You know, it's like getting all the way from LA to New York. <laughs> exactly. That's, but it is for British people. That is, it's a bit. We couldn't. Yes, we, it's, it's a too very, far. Sorry, it's a small island, and that's what we're used to. Yes, he's a busy working father of two. <laughs> he's incredibly busy, and it was great for, to talk to him. Really and um, because also he's a novelist, we were talking about things with a little bit more poetry and depth to them as well. Mm. About kind of what I do love about his approach is that he seems to be very gentle, mm. um, and I think he also tries to. He's very considered. As yeah, a he's very he really about when you ask him a question, um, because we've been talking to a lot of different people, I'm aware that most people, when they answer a question, and I, I'm very much guilty of this, they start talking, and after a few sentences, they start working out what they think. Um, with Nikesh, he really like pauses and thinks and then goes, This is what I believe. It's a really nice quality because it's quite uncommon in, in a world of Snapchat and wheelhouses. But also, I wonder whether that's 
that comes from recently his daughter asking him about you know big things like god and death and you have to you can't just like the the thing that scares me is that your child goes like mommy will i die no that's you can't go yeah well, no, but you can't go, no. I think you've got to be very careful because, they, I mean, I'm, I remember my mum telling me a story which was she remembers watching like a Western on TV in the in the 50s when she was, you know, five or six and being very upset that this person died on screen and saying to her dad, daddy, daddy, you know, they're dead. It's, it's why are you, you know, not so incredibly sad and him saying but it's fine they're just an actor and and you know until quite late in her life you know sort of like 11 she really believed that you know actors were just these people who went and uh, you know sort of um gave, sacrificed, sacrificed themselves, themselves. And people didn't care about them which you know in lots of ways well i mean it's you know certainly true from a wages point of view isn't it? <laughs> here's what i think about becoming a parent i know the ends and my limits in terms of my intelligence and my knowledge. Like, I don't know much about science. No. Also, there's a, I mean, even without that, I mean, I, I tried really hard at chemistry, mm-hmm. um, but I still really got, I mean, I, I, I just, um, it's just not within my grasp. It's not your wheelhouse. I don't know what a wheelhouse is. People are always <laughs> saying that. What is a wheelhouse? Is that a See, caravan? What if the child shows up and they're like, Daddy, what's a wheelhouse? Already, I, gap in the knowledge. Ah, no, what I will do mm-hmm. is I will do what I worked out pretty quickly um, my teachers were doing at school, mm-hmm. which was saying, well, why don't we look it up together? Oh. Which makes it look like... You're empowering. Yeah, but actually it's because they don't, they don't know. Yeah, but do you worry that there'd just be too much Googling then? Like, let's go back on Google. No, because we'll get encyclopedias, we'll get big books. We'll say, if you want to know, you've got to get them down from the big book. And they'll go, I can't be bothered. And then they just won't learn. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. I, I'm i interested and excited for kind of what my child will, will bring up. And I've definitely had friends who are parents talk to me about kind of suddenly their child is asking what feels like a very deep question, but they're three. So you are trying to give them an age-appropriate response yeah. to that? And it's tricky, isn't it? Because, I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of the really massive questions. Um, y- you can have um, answers that aren't... I mean, I remember I have very religious grandparents and very agnostic parents. Mm-hmm. And so I remember asking my mum, why is this, you know, why, why, do we, why are we not worried about God? Um, grannies... And my mum really sort of trying to be incredibly diplomatic, but nevertheless saying, well, cause as far as she was concerned, it's a load of crap, um, which I'm, I'm not saying it is. That was her opinion. Um, but that's tricky. How do you, I mean, what do we, like, so what if our daughter is born and immediately says, mummy, is there a God? What, the second she's born? Well, I, I don't know. If that happens, she'll be like St. Rumwald. Whose wheelhouse See, was she asked me about St. Rumwald, I'm fine. St. Rumwald is yeah. a baby saint. Now, in the Middle Ages, right. what happened was baby St. Rumwald was born. Yeah. He immediately declared himself to be a Christian. Lovely. Said that he wanted to be buried in Shrewsbury Abbey or something. Right. Gave a short sermon and then died. What? Yeah. St. Rumwald. That was his life. He's a baby saint. And now it's in Kent somewhere. You can go and visit the shrine of St. Rumwald. And it used to be that you could pull a little lever and St. Rumwald would 
listen to your prayers. Really? Yeah, baby saint. The more I learn about Kent, where you're from, the more I think we just let's not let's not avoid. Yeah, let's not go back. I don't want my I want my kid learning all these weird stuff <laughs> well unfortunately for them that's something that is within my wheelhouse i could tell her about folklore from the isle of sheppy really yeah okay <laughs> but not this uh, yeah i think i look forward to re-examining what i think about big questions and getting mes- metaphysical with the child and hearing what they believe in. what i'm scared of is if my child suddenly has a very intense religious or political conviction that disagrees with me Oh, what if they become very um, uh, uh, radicalised? Yeah, if my baby is radicalised. Oh, I wish I knew more about child development. <laughs> oh, me too. That's the other thing. This is something that I'm, we do touch on in the chat, which is that, like, I don't know how to be age-appropriate for a three, four, five-year-old. I know from my parents telling me a lot about their sex lives in my early teens how not to be. <laughs> but that was a generational thing. You know, they'd lived through the 60s. Um, I don't know, maybe they were still high. <laughs> I think you're very, very much overestimating how much of uh, the summer of love got as far as Mottingham in southeast London. <laughs> I saw you guys quite recently when I was in the nice bit of pregnancy and I didn't even realise I was still in the nice bit. (laughs) Um, I I can't remember. I think you said something about basically you have to play it by ear or you have to have rules set. And I can't remember which one it was. And I feel like those are distinct opposite. Very different answers, aren't they? I, I think you've found uh, the massive failure in my parenting technique, which is inconsistency. Uh, you just you just got to take it all as it comes, but also you've got to have very clear rules and boundaries. <laughs> did, did you, before you became a parent, did you guys prep up and sort of have lots of decisions in advance? I, 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 no, like I think we kind of, because it was one of those accidentally got drunk at Christmas things that happened. We weren't really prepared. That's the same as us. We did that. <laughs> Guys, stop getting drunk at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we didn't really plan anything. Like, I mean, we've, we're really lucky that we just ended up with loads and loads of hand-me-downs from lots of people um, and lots of books and things. And, and I think the things that we didn't know would be important were suddenly important and the things that people told you were important weren't so important mm. for, for, for for us it was like nailing the sleeping i remember um with your second uh when we came to visit you oh like uh, nine months ago you were in the process of taking a daily two to four hour walk with your daughter in order to get her to sleep, which started as a, a real delight and ended in being the only way she would sleep. Is that, uh, how did that, how did that come about? Well, I think it was just because, um, you know, our, our house isn't big. So I just thought, you know, if, if the, if the eldest one and, and my wife get to sleep, then that's probably a good thing. Yeah. So I start, I, I tried like, 
driving her around. Like I drew, <laughs> drove her from Bristol to Taunton one night, and then I thought that's re- that's really boring. Um, she did also. She's not going to appreciate that she's going to an entirely different county. Yeah, I know. Like she didn't. She doesn't even know the delights of Taunton. She doesn't know about the, the park and the Bridgewater and Taunton College. And, so, but then after that, because it was summer, I was like, well, why don't I just put her in a sling and go for a walk? Um, mm. So I did that one night and it went really well. And I did that another night and it went really well. And then it just became a thing for a bit. And um, it was it was, really, it was really funny. Like, that's how she met Naina Cherry. That's how she went to her first Johnny Johnny and the Baptists uh, stand-up show. <laughs> did it feel like a bonding experience as well? Like, did it feel like we get this special time every day, just me and her? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, was, it was really nice because, like... It, it meant that, like, a really good way of calming her down if she was ever upset was to kind of cuddle her in the way that she'd be in the sling and she would automatically, right. like, she'd, we'd have this weird moment where she'd be like, this is a comfort for me and I don't know why. Oh, wow. Which was cool. And also, like, our nursery told us that it has to, like, just to help set them in, that it, you have to be consistent about who drops them off and who picks them up for the first bit and then you can kind of, you know, life can take take back over and so I've I've become the abandoner and oh. my wife has become the picker-upper. And so it's a good way of, like, reminding her, hey, I'm, I'm still that guy. I'm still slang guy. I'm still the guy who introduced <laughs> you to Nana Cherry and took you to a Johnny and the Baptist show. <laughs> so you're going to be a very complex figure in her life, you know. You've got deep yeah. attachment, deep abandonment. Deep entertainment. <laughs> deep entertainment, yeah. How did you come to that conclusion of, like, okay, Right, I'm going to be the bad guy for the next six months and you can be the redeemer for the next six months. Like, did you uh, toss a coin or was it, like, more practically forced? Or? Oh, no, it, it was it, boringly. It's just it's just, the way, it's just easier for our lives. But, you know, it, it becomes one of those things where, like, you try and work out what is easiest for your life and that isn't going to kill the child. <laughs> because ultimately, you know, I guess one of the things that people don't really tell you is that, like, like as as parents you kind of have to survive through it as well how do you do that how i don't know like i sort of feel like if i get to have a shower like i, I always make sure i make sure i have a shower because that kind of makes you feel vaguely more human so if i have a shower every day i feel like things are going to be fine and sometimes i've definitely had a shower and two children have been screaming in the other room <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's only going to take 10, 15 minutes. It's not like you're having a jacuzzi bath. How long is your shower? <laughs> I don't know how relevant this is for people listening, but I used to take seven minutes and pride myself on it. Yeah, but now you're very sort of... Uh, now once I'm in the bath, I'm like a big beetle. You can't really get me out. <laughs> you have to winch me out. We have, a, we have a rope and pulley system to get you out at the end of every uh, water session. It has got a bit sad, because, like, the last couple of days, I don't know whether I've, like, succumbed to being less independent, but I've just started being like, Johnny... I need you to winch me out of the water. <laughs> if I'm not there, you haul yourself up on the sink, which I'm confident is only two halls away from just pulling away from the wall. So I, I, I'm, I like being there when you get out of the bath. What I like is you're painting such a glamorous picture of our life together. Oh, what a life we lead. <laughs> I think I like, like... Can I ask a little more about, like, how do you feel you sort of keep your sense of, like... You, as an adult, as a creative person, 
when you have your kids, especially like when they first come and it's so intense and stuff like that? Well, I guess for me, it's entirely because of the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, like, mo- like I, I don't want to, like, I, I, it would be unfair of me to try and sort of, like, try and explain maternity leave. But, like, <laughs> I can't imagine it. Like, it doesn't look fun. Whereas I was still working, so I, and, like, earning money. So I got to go to work and I got to, like, have adult conversations and make yeah. decisions about things that weren't necessarily the children. And I got to like make, choose what I wanted for lunch and <clears throat> um, send emails and, you know, do that thing that you do at three o'clock where you're like, I'm just going to watch half an hour of YouTube. Um, yeah. For and research. Read all of the co- yeah. For, for, for research. But you know, like maternity doesn't look fun. Like it isn't fun. I'm, I don't, I, I don't mean to sound completely, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, not dismissive or just crap. I, I don't mean to sound crap about it, but you, you know, it, it didn't seem fun for, for my no, life. It, it's 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 relentless. Uh, I yeah. assume. Yeah, like, and I've got like a lot of a lot of my weekdays are now going to be doing childcare, so like I can't do anything on Thursdays because Thursday afternoons I'll be looking after looking after my kids yeah. and the thing that i've noticed whenever i've like looked after my kids during the day or i'm just like say i decide to take my kid up to the shops because we need milk or something um people always people always look at the dads we really wistfully like oh look at that dad he's spending time with his kids what yeah. a guy like, i know what a guy and you're like we're just going to the shops it's not it doesn't require like any celebration and that that's the bit that i always found kind of troubling about mm. the sort of the real imbalance of it of it of like the division of labor because like no matter how much i did i was still never going to be doing as much as my wife was doing because she was on maternity leave she was doing like the days and often the nights you know yeah and i mean i my experience from my uh, i have a lovely little niece and when she was uh, a little tot i took her to aldi <clears throat> Looked. On a day trip. <laughs> On a day trip. I took her to Aldi to go, like, we had to do shopping and I was looking after her for the day. And it started to go very badly, very quickly. And a woman who worked in Aldi just sort of came and got involved. Because I was, uh, uh, as far as she was concerned, I was a single dad. And she would never have done that for a mum. Given this sort of, she was like, well, I'll hold your daughter whilst you shop. I was like, this is great. This is just, so this is what it's like being a parent. People just do it for you. And then really made me feel very uncomfortable and and happy. (laughs) (laughs) I just remembered the first time I took my niece for like, it was only a half a day. My sister's older than me. She's a lot more practical than me. And um, I think also because I'll always be the little sister, she'll always be a little bit like... Mm you know you're a bit incompetent which i think is fair yeah. and um uh, i i was really you can't excited get out of the bath, to have for instance. yeah i mean at the moment i really am <laughs> a sad case but i so she let me look after my niece for the first time i was really excited and she was about two and a half three and we met up for a coffee and my sister was like you sure you're going to be all right i was like not only am i going to be all right we are going to excel because i have about seven or eight bits of good material that i know she laughs at over and over again i'm not embarrassed to repeat jokes for hours on end we're gonna have a great time (laughs) and she was really excited about it too and then when her mum left she was a little bit like 
ooh, not sure I trust that you're an adult, but this is fine. And then I was like, we're going to go to the park. And I walked her to the park and within half a minute she got a splinter in her finger and was inconsolable would not let me see or remove the splinter and was basically just like I want my mum I don't you can't touch the splinter it was a nightmare that was three hours I, I blew it in the first instant and there was no coming back in the end I went to the library and they put a plaster over the splinter so she could not think about it but that was the most that was allowed <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what advice I can get on the back of that story other than, like, how do I not do this terribly? Um, so what you need to do is you need to soak the splinter in some... <laughs> in some hot water. and then... some hot water. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have more on that in just a second, but first we're going to take a quick break. No, I think the, the the thing that I'm really struggling with at the moment is um, I don't know how to explain the world, I'm, and I'm often mm. finding that I either don't have a simple explanation for a simple thing that I've taken for granted, or <clears throat> whatever I say is going to result in a hundred more questions. And while I really encourage and adore my eldest daughter's curiosity, it makes me feel really stupid when she's like. <laughs> T- today she said that eyeballs don't grow, eyeballs stay the same. And I, and I thought, yeah, this is a thing that I, I've thought since I was a kid. I don't even know if it's true. And she, and she said, why don't eyeballs grow? And suddenly I was like, well, one, I don't know the answer. And two, I don't even know if that's true. And that might have just been a thing I've said to her that I've just repeated for the last 37 years. Mm. That isn't even true. And, and she has all these other amazing questions like... Um, she wanted to know what nuns were. Huh. <laughs> and and so like she knows what churches are in terms of being buildings, but she doesn't really understand the concept of God or religion. So I was able to say, well, nuns are people who have devoted their lives to to the church. But I was like, I really hope she doesn't then ask what a church is, because I have no idea how to explain God to her. Right. Other than I don't know how to explain Christianity. I don't have to then explain the Anglican church. Like, <laughs> it's just a house of cards. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and well, you know, while you wanted to keep asking the questions, part of you is like, please don't ask me questions that make you feel sure. stupid. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been tempted to really just make something up? Uh, well, the thing is, because she really processes stuff and she really thinks about it, when we have, it's really stuck. And we've thought, oh, shit. Um now we've got to now we've got to try and unexplain that and tell her that we were only joking. Oh no! <laughs> like what happened? What happened? I can't I can't remember the example, but there was just something really stupid. This is the other thing with parenthood. Like I can't even remember last week. Well, I wanted to ask a bit more about like you know having to explain things uh, to your daughter and stuff. Like, have you ever had it where something's let slip? Like, uh, one of my friends told me that his dad by accident sort of introduced him to the concept of death when he was very little and he started panicking 
a lot. And so his dad got a calculator to try and show him how long life was and started going, look, you've got at least another 80 years. Now let's divide that by 12. Look, that's how many months you've got. Now let's divide that by 30. That's how many days you've got. Now let's divide that by 24. That's how many hours you've got. Now we'll divide that by um, 60. That's how many minutes you've got. And then he obviously like messed up the calculation at some point because I think he was trying to get to seconds but then it, it just said E for error <laughs> so then he, he had to like uh, he, he's dead now <laughs> so then he had to backpedal and go like you see I mean you've got so much time the calculator doesn't even know what to do it's just saying E <laughs> the other thing I, I've, I've written about this quite a lot uh, in my uh, Liberal Metropolitan Elite Observer magazine column but uh, yeah my um because my mum's not around, she's been really interested in what happens when you die. And um, <clears throat> so I've been having to explain death to my to, to her because she's always like, you know, who's your mum? And I really didn't want to like use one of those euphemisms like, oh, mm. she's just sort of having a very long sleep or, or anything because, you know, I've, that, that kind of lying feels a bit crap. And um, Also, it sounds like uh, with your daughter that would just encourage more questions. Yeah, well, but also, you know, my mum has never had a physical presence in her life. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, I, I decided to be honest. I was like, oh, yeah, she's she's dead. She's not with us anymore. And so she's been asking, what happens when you die? And um, she kind of got it into her head like once that um, that when you when you died, you just stopped existing. And so she, she started really freaking out about the idea of dying. And then, then one day she said she was going to die when she was 18. Oh, don't uh, say scary, prophetic-sounding things. I, I know, it was really terrifying because you we were like, because I was like, God, what if that actually happens? That would be oh, the most terrifying thing in the world. Um, I think, well, we just said that, it just means you're not around anymore. And, and that kind of, for her seemed like the most um the easiest way for kind of comprehending because we tried tried that thing where we're like you know sometimes your body gets sick and you know it stops working and then it, it then it stops working completely but then we were like well you know there are other people who sort of get hit by a bus or um something really really sudden happens so that you know it, it just it just ended up creating more questions oh, um, then you, you can't literally go through Every way that you might die, that's like the least reassuring thing in the world. Yeah. So we just we just said it just means you don't exist anymore. And and it happens to everybody, but not for a very long time. And then but she I think it for her now she's just very concerned that I'm very sad about it. And I am. Aww. But it, it sort of it, it went out of nowhere, she'll just go, Are you sad that your mum's dead? And I'll go, What? <laughs> 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 All right, mate. <laughs> That's really tough. I, I have a very strong uh, recollection. One of my uh, early memories, I was three when my when my dad's dad died. Um, I remember being uh, uh, just outside. My I, I had the little tiny box room that was next to my mum and dad's bedroom. My sister was the other side of the bathroom. And I remember uh, my dad and mum hugging and crying and my sister sort of crying and holding onto a leg, this little image. And I didn't know what was going on, so I went back into my room and got out my jack-in-the-box to try and cheer everyone up. 
The idea that a jack-in-the-box would ever cheer anyone also, up. What's weird is that I don't... I mean, I have... I, I know what it was because of this memory, but I don't remember at any other point liking a jack-in-the-box. Or I, I'm not the right age to have had a jack-in-the-box. Like, I'm 34. <laughs> I'm not 70. Um, and I brought it out, and I was trying to make everyone laugh, and it just made them more upset. And that's what made you a comedian. And that probably is, those sort of little moments. <laughs> this is, like, maybe a bit bigger, but have you thought about sort of... Because I feel like I know my values, I know kind of politically, um, spiritually, all of that, what I feel is important, but I haven't yet thought, do I need to kind of systematically try and teach my child that, or will it just come out? Like, have have you felt like... Okay, so we want to raise you as a humanist or as an agnostic or anything like that. And how do we get that, put that into practice? I, I think we just we decided to like raise them both outside of like any sort of specific value system and just sort of raise them with like a moral compass. Yeah. To, and like what constitutes a good person or a nice person, um, because. I think at the, at this stage of her life, like she, you know, it's it's quite pure, and she can be as open and curious about the world as she wants to be. She's got the rest of her life to like label everything, I think. And so now's a good time for her to just to just sort of try and ensure she has a really good value system, and she knows her she knows her her own mind, and she knows how to ask questions to arrive at decisions, and she is nice to people, and. Um, all the rest of it. Mm. That's so nice. That's lovely. Uh, hold that thought. We need to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back. Josie and Johnny are having a baby. We're back. We're badder than ever. We are. I was brought up um, to believe that I was constantly being watched by God. And so anything I did, God would know about it. So I couldn't lie because there's no point. You're, you're being watched and judged constantly by God, which even saying it out loud, it's, I mean, it's quite intense, isn't mm. it? And like, I, I think I'm scared that I don't know a better way of trying to stop my children lying than being like, <laughs> you're being watched, which I don't think is healthy. Like, you know, you don't want them doing something out of fear. But you never lie. I don't lie, no. And I never tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of us. <laughs> no, but you never lie. And that is a really lovely thing about you. You're... you're um, you're honest to the point of, you know, detrimental to your life and career sometimes. You, you are. You're very honest. Like, not in a sort of... Like, you, you have the ability to, to do the white lie if someone says, how do I look or something. But, you, like, you, you'll, you'll never... No, that's be- the time when I speak my mind. I say, <laughs> you look like a trifle that's fallen downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you are so extremely honest that it, it, it is such a good thing. I think you're just being nice to reassure me. But no, I, I'm not. But I do think, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I what, what I'm do, asking is... So sorry. you're saying it's worse us telling our child that even if they're alone in the room god is always watching and can listen to their thoughts well i just all i know is that i mean to what extent this is a really good question to what extent is is it worth filling your child's head with absolute 
rubbish to end up with a really good result. Um, like, you have ended up being a deeply honest, truthful person. The way you got there is, let's be honest, quite scary. But it has worked. <laughs> That I'm is, not advocating is, abuse. I'm just, I'm sort of, I'm just, there's, well, there's a fine line here, isn't there? There's a, a moral question here. <laughs> you know, there are all these, you, you read, I mean, when you, if you read baby books, there's this book called Wonder Weeks that tells you about all these sort of developmental stages yeah. that kids go through. And one of the things that they end up doing is experimenting with telling lines because they're sure. kind of testing boundaries and they're testing sort of what, like, they're, their version of perception and what they can get away with and all that kind of stuff and so at what <clears> age is that um well well my eldest is doing it at the moment um like and we've accidentally ended up with like what i think is n- not quite right so like so the Gujarati word for a liar is a trutia and so i like because i occasionally like try and drop in Gujarati words just to just to teach her them if like it's got to the point where if she tells a lie and I say, "Don't don't be a trutia," she gets really upset, and Aww. so her associate and so and I don't like that. I don't like that association, so I've had to really stop doing it. Okay. <clears throat> oh, because she's sort of still I, too young. It's still part of her yeah. development. Yeah, it feels it feels like you're calling her a name, and that's sort of like at her age, that was obviously a big thing for her. Or and at my age, it turns out as well. You know? Well, it's that tricky thing of you, you kind of you, you're trying to encourage them not to lie, and you shouldn't lie yourself because you'll be caught out either through school or. I, I love I love how Johnny's building up this picture that like. Um, Josie was told that um, <laughs> that God would know when she was lying, so she now never tells lies. And uh, Johnny failed to make someone laugh, and so spelt uh, when when someone died, and so spent the rest of his life <laughs> trying to make people laugh. The damage <laughs> starts early. And the we, damage starts. Early, we yeah. are joking a lot, but I do think the last one's. I've just realised the last one is true. <laughs> like I've dedicated <laughs> my life to trying to fix that one moment, and I've never noticed before today. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't they say didn't didn't someone say i think we were talking once jason you were like like sometimes like for most people their first like stand-up set goes really really well and they end up just chasing the high of that yeah, yeah. because the first time you do it you're so full of adrenaline yeah. and any laugh you get is the first laugh you've ever got yeah. and also if you do fall in love with it you're like oh i found my thing yeah, totally. It's chasing the dragon ever ever yeah. since. And I, I'm confident my first set was a roaring success. But I think I bombed. I just got two laughs. And I got two laughs in ten minutes. And Which I was like, more, that's perfect. Two more laughs than you've ever got on that's stage right. before. <laughs> <laughs> it's two more than the jack-in-the-box. The box. <laughs> Did you have any ambitions for your kids before they were born that have already gone by the wayside? Like, Because me and Johnny were a little bit like... We're going to have a bilingual household, even though we are not bilingual ourselves. So I was like, we could all learn Spanish at the same time. <laughs> uh, I feel intensely triggered by this question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really wanted to raise my kids bilingually so they spoke Gujarati, but um, I barely speak it anymore unless I'm with my ba and I oh, hardly no. ever see her. So I can barely speak it anymore. And so all they know is the word for liar and the word for elephant. <laughs> but if they ever meet an untrustworthy elephant, they've got it nailed. <laughs> but yeah, that that has gone by the wayside because the thing about um, I've re- I've read a couple of books about it, and there is like there's a really sweet spot when you start, and you kind of have to be consistent 
it, it gave you tips on how if your partner doesn't speak yeah. the language, how you kind of get around it. Um, but I was just inconsistent. But that seems to be my entire parenting style yeah. is inconsistent. But yeah. that's at the very least, that's like real about what it is to be a person. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much oh. for chatting to us today. It's been Wait, lovely. There was one oh, more thing. Josie's got a thought. Oh, I wanted to ask one more question, but have we got time for it? Is that? Yeah, sure. I, I, this is what I wanted to ask you, which is that, um, yeah, last time I saw you, um, you mentioned something that I thought was just like the most beautiful thing about um, there was a talent show at your daughter's nursery. And because you sort of managed to shield her a bit from Disney and from some kind of toddler pop culture that she when they all sang a song she sang twinkle twinkle little star (laughs) yeah and honestly i found it so incredibly beautiful because like that is what a three-year-old should know they shouldn't know anything else they shouldn't be singing let it let it i was gonna say let it snow let it go let it be the frozen song she (laughs) can also sing let it snow and will occasionally um launch into it at random times um but yeah i I just i I can just really sort of see her kind of her shoulders hunched a bit her holding her holding her hands staring at the floor and singing twinkle twinkle little star in her sort of shrill tuneless voice and there's something really lovely about it because you know those those disney things are so unavoidable and so ubiquitous and we we've, we've, we've we haven't shielded her from them because we're we have made a choice not to we're just like she she gets quite easily stressed out by stuff that she watches on tv and she because she processes everything and so those those films are really stressful there's a lot of peril and so we just thought she doesn't need yeah. necessarily need that peril just yet yeah. so that, that you know we like we all like watching the clangers every evening oh just because it's just very calm very like sweet noises yeah and soup dragons. So that's something like, because I'm really scared of YouTube. Uh, I'm scared that if my child watches YouTube, they will become an alt-right beauty vlogger. Um, <laughs> my nightmare, my absolute nightmare. Uh, and like, so I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's not even been massively your kind of agenda to shield her from that kind of thing, but that it is still possible. Yeah, I think so. You know, we're in control of when she watches TV. So she only watches TV for half an hour every night. And then sometimes on a Saturday morning, if we're really tired or hungover, I think it's I think it's fine. She's got the rest of her life to, like, obsess over Frozen. Um, thanks so much for talking to us. I feel like I have, like, ten more things I could ask you about um, next time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good luck. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did. Um, it's also it's funny as well. Like it, it's nice to sit and talk with a friend, especially someone who's so considered. Mm. I felt like sometimes you ask people things on podcasts and they've just kind of um, set the set the wheels of chat in, mo- in motion, and then about halfway through you'll get the good the goods. Whereas with him, I feel like we, you'd ask him a question and then he kind of formulates the exact answer that you need. That's right. I really like that about him. He's very um, reasoned, measured, good dad stuff. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us personally um, on Twitter at Johnny Donahoe or at Josie Long. Uh, 
Um, and we also have websites, don't we, JC? Yep, jclong.com or Johnny Hunt. Johnny Donahoe. Did you get my name wrong? Ponado. <laughs> Johnny Donahoe.co.uk. Uh, Nick Esch is on Twitter. He's fantastic. It's at Nick Shukla. Also, if you enjoy the show, thank you so much. Please would you consider giving us a uh, rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. But if not, genuinely, I'm thrilled that you would listen to the show, so thank you. This show was produced by Ruth Barnes and Laura Sheeter from Chalk and Blade for Stitcher with special thanks to Stephanie K. Ryuki and Laura Mayer. And we are Josie and Johnny. If you'd like to hear more of the show, you can sign up to Stitcher Premium. And if you do that, you get to hear every single episode of Johnny and Josie Are Having a Baby with, with you. you. Ad free and before anyone else does. If you'd like to have a free month of listening, you can go to stitcherpremium.com forward slash baby and use the promo code baby. B-A-B-Y. B-A-B-Y. Next week, we'll be talking to some other very important people. So make sure you subscribe to us at Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Goodbye. Stitcher.